0: Financial advisor, Justin Klein. Good afternoon, fellow investors, and welcome
1: back to Invest Talk. This is our Tuesday, July 18th, 2023 edition. I'm Justin Klein, and we're throwing everybody a curveball today. Usually Luke's joining us on Thursdays, but today uh, it's a Tuesday, and Luke is back. Thanks for joining us.
2: It's the Tuesday Luke surprise.
1: There you go. It's, uh, everyone loves a good surprise every once in a while. Well, uh, you know, surprises are are fun and all, but uh, this show is really about down-to-earth investing, not uh, having too many surprises, maybe some positive surprises every once in a while. This, I would say this is a positive surprise, Luke. That's
2: good to hear, Justin. Yeah, Thank, you.
1: Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> Glad we have uh, some positive feedback over, over here with Luke. And, uh, you know, today is going to be, uh, as always, about making the most of your time and your capital and eliminating the counterproductive habits that so many people tend to gravitate to simply because we're emotional beings, we're humans, and that's what we do. We chase headlines and we use fear and greed to guide our decision making, but we all know that history says if you do that, you're probably going to be behind the eight ball more often than not. So, our job here is to answer your finance and investment questions and give you unbiased perspective and data developed with over 20 years of investment experience. And of course, Invest Talk is uh, about helping you take that next step in your financial journey. And to that, end, this podcast is your opportunity to improve your portfolio, to improve your strategy, to pr- to, pr- to improve your knowledge base, so that you can make good, sound decisions. So, let's get started, and we're ready to ta- tackle your questions. And, but you have to call the Invest Talk phone lines. Never close. It's 899 chart. Now, our main focus point today looks in the story behind this question: What are the dynamics making the labor market difficult for employers, and what are the states? that are doing the best in attracting businesses, and we're going to talk about why. I think there's some good long-term reasoning why this is all, all happening, why certain states are getting more companies to go to them and not, so we're going to look into that. We're also going to touch a bit on some new rules, some interesting rules that are forcing some of the big, fun companies to buy, not buy as much of the large tech names that dominate the indices Today, So we're going to look at that and what that might mean for those big names and some of the adjacent funds. Also, we're going to look at Carvana's future and what the history of the auto industry says about their business. And then lastly, China is or the U.S. is trying to restrict access to more technology that allows China to operate a cloud computing system. And we're going to look at what that could mean for not only China, but the Chip makers that surround that whole industry. So that's what's on the docket for us today. But most importantly, it's about your calls, and we're going to get to your voice bank questions. One is on shares outstanding, as well as on Atcore Inc. (ATKR), and we have an iTunes review question or two to answer as well. So that's what's planned for this hour of Invest Talk. But most Im- most importantly, it is your live calls at eight 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 ninety nine chart. Now let's pivot over to the market today. Luke, we had another nicely positive day. The, the market just continues to climb that wall of worry. And what was interesting is you had the value side of the market really uh, outperforming earlier in the day. Uh, but growth had a really resurgence near the end of the day. But most of all the small caps up 1.8%. That's one of the biggest performances one day for this year.
2: Yeah, the rally was broad today. The Dow Jones index was up for its seventh straight session. You saw industrial metals, fertilizers, banks, energy doing well in ways that it hadn't the past couple of days. It was more broadly positive than it has been over the past couple months.
1: Yeah, and we're in the midst of earnings season, and you had some major earnings announcements uh, from the likes of, let's see, who was this morning? You had Bank of America, you had Charles Schwab, Morgan Stanley, and all those were, were basically positive, right? Morgan Stanley was up five, let's see, over 5%, yeah, 6% or so. Bank of America, that was up, uh, let's see, about about three or 4%. So a lot of good news out of the banks after a a kind of a mixed picture on Friday from some of the other large banks.
2: Yeah, and you know, banks tend to be the canary in the coal mine for how the rest of the markets are going to perform and how other companies are doing. So to see some broadly positive uh, news coming out of the banking sector on the back of interest rates rising is a good thing.
1: Yeah, and and, uh, everyone's worried about the banking sector. And so far, I think they've come across fairly well and are uh beating expectations obviously by the reaction in markets now let's head over to our first listener question now at 88899 chart
2: hi Stephen justin this is jay from salt lake city utah first off great show love it i watch all
3: to it all the time i'm calling to get your fundamental and technical analysis on uh graphic packaging holdings the symbol is gpk that'd be george peter kimberly thanks again and i look forward to hearing on the podcast
1: All right, this is Graphic Packaging, GPK, and they make paperboard packaging products for companies in the food, beverage, and household products industries. $7.4 billion market cap, so right in the mid-cap space. And we all know we kind of like mid-caps on this show, risk versus reward. They do have a decent amount of debt on their balance sheet, but it's a consistent business, very profitable. Their time's interest earned is about five times, so I think uh, their balance sheet looks fairly solid. You're looking at an enterprise value to EBITDA right around seven, seven and a half, eight, which is not high, not, not crazy low, but uh, looks like a decent value. Luke, what do you think about the long-term profitability picture?
2: yeah, well, I'm seeing you know in the long term, we got some EPS estimates that are looking broadly positive for the next couple couple quarters. That's good. You see their valuation, their relative valuation has fallen from a high in mid twenty twenty two and their profitability is improving. So you know this is these are all positive things. Their relative strength relative to the Russell three thousand has been looking good recently. Um overall, everything, everything looks pretty good to me.
1: Yeah, and it had a recent pullback to the 100-day moving average. So technically, this still looks fine. And it it, it looks like it found nice support here uh, in the low 20s and headed higher. You are getting a modest dividend. I think the dividend has room to go up. It is probably over-earning though. If you look at the history, its return on equity is closer to the mid-teens. Right now, it's at thirty percent. So, you know, I think the biggest worry is a reversion to that mean. You know, profitability tends to stay fairly stagnant for most companies over the long term. Can ebb and flow based on certain short-term uh, market factors, uh, and that would be my, my biggest worry. But I like the business. I like the the longer-term profitability. The balance sheet looks solid. So, and and the earnings uh, trajectory looks solid as well. So. I think, getting, I think
2: one thing that you might want to note, though, is that the short interest is around 6%, which seems a little high for a company this size in a, in a not-so-sexy, if you will, sector. So that might be something to look into as well as why is there some, some measure of market participants that think the price is going to go down.
1: Yeah, well, they also could be wrong, too.
2: They could be wrong as they, well. They I didn't wrong. say believe them.
1: <laughs> something to consider, absolutely. research. Yeah, but overall, I would give it a thumbs up. Now we're heading into a break. I welcome your finance and investment questions now. So give Invest Talk a call at eight 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 ninety nine chart.
3: When listener questions are played on the Invest Talk podcast,
0: how do you guys determine a value stock?
3: The caller voices are amplified many thousands of times.
4: Just wanted to get your opinion on. J.P. Morgan and BAC.
3: How do you see this? uh, Looking forward.
1: I'm 25 years old and have a question about retirement funds.
3: And the unbiased answers from Justin Klein.
1: That's why it's trading so cheap, because there's a lot of regulatory
3: risk. And Steve Peasley.
1: I kind of like it here. If I was going to buy Tyson food, this is where I'd buy it. One of the most rewarding things I do each weekday is host the
3: Invest Talk podcast. I truly enjoy helping investors, and I know that every question counts and every answer I provide will be unbiased. You, the
1: caller, get to chart the course for each Invest Talk podcast. Call with your questions anytime, day or night, 888 99Chart.
3: Hey, Stephen Justin. This is uh, Taylor calling from Arizona. Question about shares outstanding by definition. That's the number of shares that are owned. And if this number is pretty much stagnant, like doesn't change, and if the number of shares that are traded on a daily basis, the the volume bought and sold is different and changes every day, which is what influences the price, how is it that the shares outstanding stays the same? I'll listen for your answer on the podcast. Thanks.
1: Well, I think you're not understanding exactly what shares outstanding means. Shares outstanding means how many uh, units of ownership are out there in the marketplace. And companies can issue more shares and increase the shares outstanding. Uh, Tesla, uh, historically, has continued to be a serial, serial issuer of, of shares. So that's one example. And vice versa, companies can do the opposite. They can buy back shares and the, um, the shares outstanding drops over time. Uh, but many companies also... They don't issue more shares or buy back shares. They do other things with their capital. They uh, can finance their business through debt. Uh, debt issuance, or they take their additional capital or additional cash flow and plow it back into their business, or they pay a dividend, uh, for example. So the majority of companies, yeah, their shares outstanding over probably the last year are are relatively flat. There's only uh, probably a smaller subset that are growing their shares rapidly or shrinking their amount of shares outstanding rapidly. The amount of shares that are traded each day on the exchange is completely irrelevant to how many shares outstanding or not. This is completely up to the management of the company, what they want to do with their capital, how they want to raise capital. Anything to add, Luke?
2: No, I think that perfectly sums it up. Yeah,
1: there you go. Well, when, pe- pe- when people take the time to leave an invest talk podcast review on iTunes, we like to thank them for their courtesy by getting to their questions quickly. Gene Coos says, Please look at ticker BTI. New category revenue has grown at an impressive con... Pound annual growth rate of 33% over the last four years, and management is confident confident in the ability to achieve $5 billion in revenue by 2025 with a P of eight. This looks like an absolute bargain. Am I missing something? Now, for everyone else out there, that this is British American Tobacco, and you're correct, it is trading at a fairly low multiple, eight times. But what you're what you're focusing on is a much smaller part of their business that is counteracting the shrinkage of the majority of their business. Remember, this is a UK-based manufacturer of cigarettes. And revenue of the last three quarters, or three half years, they, they report these and uh, their earnings come out every every uh, six months. Each of the last three, the revenues have been down and earnings have been down in two of those three as well. And so what you're seeing is it's trading at a low multiple because it's it, it, the broad business isn't growing. Now, what you can say is that over time, eventually, that larger part of the business is going to shrink and the smaller business is going to continue to grow maybe at 33% per year and eventually become the dominant part of their business. And then suddenly this has revenue growth and the, the market's gonna to have to re-rate this probably at a higher multiple. The question I think is, what is the profitability of that business? Cigarette business is typically historically an extremely profitable business with high mar, uh, uh, high margins. Whereas for a lot of the cigarette makers, including BTI, it's those alternative uh, vaping products and and, uh, smokeless tobacco products, things like that. That's mainly what they're talking about here. Uh, So Luke, do you think that he's onto something that eventually that smokeless part of their business is suddenly going to be a key driver?
2: It could be. I mean, there also seems to be a trend, especially amongst states in the United States, to ban a lot of these vaping products, um, but leave you know, tobacco regulation unchanged. I think for me, this seems to be a situation where you don't want to fall for a value trap maybe. Mm -hmm. Um, so there's no, you know, evidence that down the road, the profitability and the growth is sustainable. And at the same time, the dividend yields eight and a half percent. I'd be a little weary here.
1: Yeah. I think that's the question is will the growth of that, that business be sustainable? And you i i think he may be honest i think there is something something you would consider because there are a lot of these cigarette companies that are still viewed as these dying businesses but they have been investing on in these new uh products that have a different business model but i think are, are underappreciated by the market but there are regulatory issues like you said where there are certain types that are being banned and being restricted in certain jurisdictions uh but uh, I think these cigarette companies, they're pretty good at this, right? They're pretty good at, at, at uh, lobbying and getting around a lot of these restrictions. So uh, I do think this is a, a cheaper name, but you're betting a lot on the smokeless part of their business. Uh, now, technically, BTI is still in a downtrend. And so I, I, I still like it longer term, but you, know, you want that, those technicals to improve just a bit. All right, let's head over to our first break. And let me tell you about the new video feature we are producing. It's called the Invest Talk Sector Spotlight. Spotlight, spotlight, spotlight. It is free right now over on YouTube. The first episode, Luke and I talk about the technology sector and its rapid innovation. We discuss artificial intelligence, blockchain, cloud computing, as well as software as a service. The Invest Talk Sector Spotlight you can find now on YouTube. My phone lines are open, waiting for your questions at 99 chart.
3: Everybody wants a secure financial future, but getting there takes strategy, discipline, and the right information. Justin Klein is ready to provide his unbiased answers. So don't forget to call Invest Talk. 888
1: 99 Chart. Normie, folks today looks in the story behind this question what are the dynamics making the labor market difficult for employers and uh, i like this because it highlights the diversity of the set of ideals the set of laws that uh we have in this country a lot of people think of what happens on the federal level but so much about government happens on the state level and cnbc came out with America's top states for business where they scored all 50 states on business climates and they looked at uh, a number of factors uh, including the workforce and how strong the workforce competitiveness was and the they looked at things like engineering and math talent so STEM talent their concentration of, of sciences their their uh, education educational attainment within the workforce, the net migration of college educated workers, uh, industry recognized certifications, as well as a pipeline of students in career education programs from local universities. And the top states in reverse order, I'll go through Tennessee was tied for number 10. They lag in the STEM category overall, but they have a very strong worker training program where 83% of the participants are employed within six months of completing their training. Uh, and this is something I say, Luke, is, is certainly under, underappreciated uh, in this country. You know, they have, w- in Germany, uh, a lot of uh, vocational programs. And it looks like Tennessee is one of the top states in that category. And then you look at Colorado. They're also tied for... Number ten or number nine, however you want to look at it, they boast the, the America's second best education, educated workforce after Massachusetts, and one of the largest concentrations of tech talent. You think this is coming just from Colorado University?
2: Could be. I mean, it's uh, you know personally, I love Denver. Colorado is a great place to live, and, and specifically within the tech industry, you may have a lot of people working there if they're allowed to work remote.
1: Yeah, that makes sense. Especially if they like to ski, right? Like I do. Yeah, there you go. And uh, Georgia is number eight it has a labor shortage it's unemployment rate is around 3% and businesses like it because they have high productivity and a relatively high concentration of tech talent in virginia that's number 7 and this is high in the list mainly because of one university old dominion that has a very good stem program uh, do you know much about old dominion i do not you do not yeah apparently it's uh, it's very good and uh, that's mainly the, the, the reason that they are highly ranked. So a lot of uh, biotechs are, are moving there. Utah, high t- concentration of tech talent. They call the area area near, I believe it's Salt Lake City. the Silicon Slopes.
2: That's a great name. It's a great name. I love alliteration. You know that.
1: Uh, you're a big alliteration guy. Have you ever been skiing in Utah?
2: I have. Yeah, no, it's the best, best snow in the United States in my opinion. I don't know
1: if uh, you guys know this, but Luke, is a, he's a daredevil. And how many times have you had a few scares on the slopes?
2: Oh, I don't got enough fingers. You don't have enough fingers? I don't have okay. enough fingers. Yeah.
1: He loves, uh, he loves a steep incline. Let's just say that. Now, uh, Utah is a leader in career education. It's the second largest concentration of workers with industry credentials and two-year degrees and a large pipeline of young people learning skilled trades. And I think that's one big factor here, just to back up. It's the fact that demographics are really shaping the workforce. You have the boomers. All retiring, right? We've talked about this. How the majority of boomers now are retired. There's still some yet to be retired, but the majority are retired. And then the second largest cohort, actually a bigger cohort than, than the boomers, are millennials, which Luke and I would be considered uh, millennials. And all of the millennials now are in the workforce. I don't know if you realize that now. Everyone, you know, remember when millennials used to be the the young group. We're no longer the young group. I means every millennial is entered the workforce, and that means the next generation of large entrants to the workforce are going to be the millennials' kids. And Luke, how long do you think it takes to make an 18-year-old?
2: I'm going to go with 18 years plus nine months plus because nine they got to be born.
1: There you go. So that means to actually create positive workforce uh, growth you're either going to have to have net inward migration, which that's slowed over the past uh, five to seven years for various reasons, but or, or you have to have those kids grow up and, and get educated, which that's, like you said, going to take uh, a couple of decades. And so all of these those demographic, demographic factors are playing into a tightness of the labor market overall, and I think that's one reason why the, the labor market or the, the unemployment rate continues to stay very low.
2: Yeah, you know, the perfect analogy I saw about this is essentially the baby boomer generation is kind of like dinner inside a snake right? As it slowly moves up, it bulges through until now it's getting to the top where the point the labor force is really going to suffer for that reason.
1: Yeah. Demographics are destiny, right?
2: That's what they say. More alliteration. There
1: you go. And uh, number five is Washington state. It's the largest concentration of tech talent and has the second most productive workforce in the country. Number four is Delaware. It has a large concentration of STEM talent and worker training program, uh, that outperforms most of the country. Number three, Arizona, number of highly skilled workers coming in uh, from the tech sector, and it has a solid career education program. Texas, number two, obviously a lot of inward migration into Texas that are uh, especially in the tech space and companies that are work, looking for large work, a large workforce. Texas is a, is a good one for that. And number one. North Carolina and more than eighty nine percent of participants in its state workforce development program are employed within six month months another another uh, indication that workforce development programs work they get people into jobs rather quick and definitely something uh, 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 these incubate incubators of ideas it's showing that on a national level, we need to uh, create something like this. And so uh, North Carolina comes in at number one. Now, in the next Invest talk, we will look into the story behind this question. Should large blend funds outweigh value plus growth funds in a portfolio? That story tomorrow, but we're taking your questions now at 888-99-CHART. Let's say you've been thinking about learning a new language. Okay, why? I mean, how would it come in handy? And where would you want to use it? Redeem your 50% off now at rosettastone.com slash today. The stock market is
3: volatile. It's constantly changing. So how are you positioned? Is your portfolio properly balanced or are you taking unnecessary risks? You can get guidance anytime for free if you go to investtalk.com and take the brief Riskalyze quiz.
1: All right, let's go to Jame in Las Vegas looking at Civi, C-I-V-I, Civitas C-I-V-I Resources, Inc. Do you own it or are you looking to buy it?
3: Yeah, yeah, I, oh,
2: I, I own it.
1: Okay. Well, I'll give you my take. Uh, what's interesting here is that we were looking at this today in the office.
2: A mere at, five hours
1: ago. A mere five hours ago and uh, looking at different ideas within the energy space. And we really like this one. This is Civitas Resources, and they have uh, an outstanding balance sheet, actually net cash on their balance sheet. They have uh, very strong earnings expectations for this year and next year. Now, it's supposed to be down 26% this year from last year, but that's expected because energy prices are down. But at $9.81 on a $74 stock, that's an eight times PE. And what's interesting is that analysts are upgrading earnings expectations for this year and next, and next year, they're supposed to make $13.18 a share 2.7% Two point seven percent dividend that obviously can go up if the earnings continue to rise. What did you like about it, Luke?
2: I liked its valuations. I like its its profitability has been increasing in the past year. I like how stable it's been, even as the rest of the energy sector has been on the decline or at least been lagging the rest of the market. And I like how its cash flow over the past couple of years has been increasing.
1: Yeah, the, lots of like here. It is. One of the On the smaller side, about a $6 billion market cap. So not super small, but it's certainly in the mid-cap space. Uh, the technicals are strong, 79 on the relative strength rating, which I really like. And if you just bring up the, the chart, you'll see that it's above all the major moving averages. It's been kind of consolidating here in a range between 60 and $75 over the past four or five months. And if oil continues to gain some strength, I think this will uh, uh, on top of it. So uh, it's certainly been outperforming the, the energy sector. I like that. Uh, I like that low debt. I like, like that profitability, like Luke said. So I'm going to give Civitas a thumbs up. And it is a name that we have closely on our watch list, probably will purchase in the near future. Now let's go to Nick in Manhattan Beach looking at SSTK, which is shutter stock. You own it or looking to buy it?
2: Hi Justin, Um, I started buying this about a month ago in the upper 40s. Um, I, you know, their financials look good. They made some acquisitions in the past couple years that have been accretive to sales and uh, earnings. Um, Back when the uh, OpenAI ChatGPT was released uh, late last fall, they they announced also a a partnership with OpenAI. They didn't give too much detail, but I figured that that was intriguing. And um, they just announced a, I think. Six or seven year long partnership with OpenAI to um, help them with generative imaging for their application, you know, AI application, machine learning purposes. Not too much disclosure on the financial implications of that, but um, the stock jumped on it. I'm up decently. I'm wondering, wondering whether to buy more. What do you think?
1: Luke, you, you know a lot about AI. What's your take on <laughs> the ability for them to utilize that in a way that will be accretive to earnings long term?
2: You know, I think in the short term, and I won't, don't want to pass myself off as an AI expert by any means, um, but I think in the short term you have to be weary about the immediate... Uh, effect on earnings that a partnership with an AI company will have. Um, I think I've said this many times, which is if you want to invest in the benefits of artificial intelligence, think about the industries that are gonna benefit from its application. Um, So in that time, there's gonna be a lot of guess and check, there's gonna be a lot of development, Um, but I would be careful about chasing just because they are partnering with OpenAI.
1: Yeah, what, what I like about this is earnings, while they are supposed to retrench this year, they uh, they do have a good, steady, long-term trajectory higher. So I think that's one positive. And they don't have any debt, right? Zero long-term debt, net positive cash flow on their balance sheet. They pay a dividend. Uh, the It is starting to improve technically, but it's had a major pullback from 80 all the way to 48. And so it's improved over the past week, but is that just because of... The, the market as a whole, that could be potentially it, because it's certainly underperformed over the past uh, year and a half or so. So I would temper your enthusiasm quite yet to be adding to it. I would want to see some technical strength, uh, a bit more than what you've seen just over the past couple of weeks. Um, but certainly an interesting business that, uh, once again, doesn't have a lot of debt, is profitable. And you know could AI be something that powers their business in the future? Sure but it also could be a lot more hype than reality. So, all right, let's go to Sammy in San Francisco. He wants to talk about Netflix.
4: Uh, hey, Justin. Thanks for taking my call. Um, I've been kind of tra- tracking Netflix the last several weeks and months, and it's been kind of going off right? uh, in in, in, a, in a single direction. Um, I was hoping that there will be a pullback and I will jump in, but hasn't happened yet. So would like to get your thoughts on, should I take the plunge now or just wait or um, what, whats your take on Netflix
1: well my first question is why Netflix why are you excited to own Netflix
4: I mean it's one of those you know tech companies that has done well in the past and there was you know some correction earlier after uh, you know uh, all the companies gonna went down a little bit uh, and now it looks like you know Netflix has uh, uh, emerged strong from from that uh, fallout and I'm hoping this would be a good time for me to get in and uh, write this talk higher.
1: Okay, well just because it's come back doesn't make me excited to to get back into it the tech sector more broadly and we'll talk about another tech name maybe later in the show uh that has also rallied dramatically this year uh and is clearly egregiously overvalued now i do think netflix is overvalued especially at these multiples uh but it's also technically about to go into some major resistance here right around 500 dollars per share so technically I don't like where it's at. It's a, it's overbought and into major resistance. Not something that I'm going to step in front of. Uh, Luke, do you, what? What do you think about Netflix business? Do you think that there's a reasonable multiple that this could trade at where it would be attractive? And do you think it's anywhere near that?
2: I think closer to the competitor average, around ten. Right now, the next twelve months, it's trading at twenty. Uh, or sorry, apologies. Um, it is trading at. It's like thirty. Thirty. 30. Yeah, even go. even more than that. I think my issue is more from a higher level perspective, which is uh, you have a writer strike going on right now. Uh, now the actors have joined them. That's going to hurt production in the future. Um, I think a lot of the uh, gains have been as a result of their new policy and kicking people off of uh, you know their, their friends' accounts, which is a good thing. But ultimately, Netflix is a lot more competition in this decade than it had in the past decade. Um, so just because its stock has been outperforming historically doesn't mean it will in the future. On every fund disclosure, it'll say historical performance is not indicative of future results. Um, so I would just be, be careful about the different dynamics that are shaping up for not just the entertainment industry, specifically with streaming, um, but just Hollywood in general is something to be careful of.
1: Yeah. And if you look, zoom out technically, the large drop from $700 a share all the way to 162 that happened starting in the 2021 into the middle of 2022, that was a long-term break break of trend. And it still hasn't recaptured that. And so uh, I, I don't see this as a name that's particularly attractive, especially the history of uh, cash flow situations that ebb and flow mainly based on how much they're, they're spending. And sometimes they have some hits like, what would their major hit be? That would be uh, Stranger, Stranger Things. Things. Yeah. What else? One
2: more season left. they got to be careful there. Uh, let's see. What else on Netflix. I'm not sure I lost my access from yeah. to my brother's account, so, <laughs> so I wasn't one of the people that repurchased it.
1: yeah, see, I, I'm a bigger fan of like HBO. They have a lot better history of producing great television mm-hmm. and, and great shows and and, and uh, history of profitability. and so i'm not just I'm not going to pay this multiple for Netflix. Back down about one hundred dollars per share, maybe, but now we're at nearly five hundred, so I'm passing on Netflix. all right. now, let's pivot over to. A very interesting story, a good segue here into some news about some of the largest funds out there, and there are some SEC rules about the concentration of a fund into just a handful of stocks, and many of the large U.S. investment funds are being blocked from buying more shares in some of these popular stocks like Netflix, like Amazon, Apple, uh, Microsoft, NVIDIA, etc., because if you, there, there are some rules that make it so if you go over a certain level of concentration, you go from a diversified fund to non-diversified fund. And if there are losses during that time that they are non-diversified, yet they are saying they're diversified, that could bring on some shareholder lawsuits. And that's the big uh, problem here. And the SEC says that... You cannot put more than 25% of the firm's assets into large holdings, and that is considered 5% of the fund or more. And so when you get all these large names huddled into uh, these indexes or a lot of these large funds, it's forcing them to rethink and rebalance their positions. Uh, And so I think of this as are we at the end of the buying spree of these large tech names, Luke? We
2: could be. Um, and I, I, did, I do just want to clarify, this isn't an SEC rule. It's actually my my old favorite topic, the Investment Companies Act of 1940. So this is something that was you know, in the wake of the Great Depression. There are certain rules around whether you call yourself diversified. This is the percentage you have to have in diversified assets. There's If you call yourself a small cap fund or value fund, you have to be 80% in that asset class. So these are rules that, regardless of the regime in charge of the SEC, everybody is going to have to live by. So what does that mean for tech volumes? Well, if you think about how most people invest their money through mutual funds, through ETFs, that's going to be where a lot of the volume comes from. So if there are positive flows, if this rally does continue into the future, the thing that they're not going to be able to invest in is tech.
1: Yeah, they're going to bump up against these rules that force them to sell or just simply not buy anymore, which uh, a lot of the reason for the outperformance of the large tech names over the past decade plus is, are because of just simply fund flows in general. And this is a potential catalyst for those flows to some degree uh, dry up. And a good example of this is that it is in May, Fidelity's Contra Fund, one of the largest large cap growth funds in the world, $108 billion, could not buy any more shares of Meta, Berkshire Hathaway, Microsoft or Amazon because they made a combined 32% of the portfolio. BlackRock's Technology Opportunities Fund was also blocked from buying more shares of Apple, Microsoft, NVIDIA because they also were over the limits. And the SEC said in 2019 that it would not enforce the this the more stringent twenty-five percent limit on passive investment funds, meaning index funds, but there are limits on passive funds as well, up to 50%. This happened in the NASDAQ recently, where, think about this, the top six largest companies in the NASDAQ 100 made up 50% of the fund, and they had to reduce that to 40% of the overall fund.
2: Yeah, I will say, uh, according to the Investment Companies Act of 1940, um, you. Cannot actively buy to get past 25%. And once you're at 25%, you can't continue to buy. But if you passively buy your current holdings, if prices just appreciate, you are not forced to sell to go back down. So they're not forcing anyone to sell. So really, in this current situation, the only thing that I can see it affecting is buy-side volume with the new flows.
1: Yes. Yeah, because they're over that, and then their new money that comes into the fund, they can't buy those positions until an aggregate it drops below. 25%. Exactly. Yeah, that makes sense. Now, I'm Justin Klein with Luke Guerrero, and you're listening to Invest Stock, And we want to help you grow your wealth. And of course, you make your investment choices, but there always be a bit of fear and greed that creeps into your, in, in, in your judgment process. And my advice for dealing with this is to dev- define your risk comfort zone. And at KPP Financial, we help you do that. Anytime you're ready, we have a free online tool over on investtalk.com. It's the Risk Lies Risk Questionnaire. So check it out, you can quickly calibrate your risk tolerance level. And if you wanna do a portfolio review, we can compare that with your portfolio and see exactly where you fit. Are you taking too much risk, not enough risk, just the right risk, all right? and we're But for now, we're ready for your
0: questions. So give us a call at 888-99-CHART. In today's world, a variety of factors are affecting the stock markets. Serious investors know building a secure financial future requires hard work and determination. That's why now, more than ever, when it comes to the planning, execution, and maintenance of your portfolio, you need InvestTalk. InvestTalk is a free download. Your participation makes it unique. Don't forget to call InvestTalk, 888-99-CHART.
2: Hi, Stephen Justin. I have a question about a company called Atcore Inc., ticker symbol ATKR. It has had a really strong run-up in the last year, but it is a small-cap company with a lot of growth potential. Wondering what you guys think of the company and if there is a pullback to the $120 range, which you consider getting in. Can you let me know about its uh, fundamentals and analysis on this? Thank you so much. Have a great day.
1: are right. looking at at core ATKR, and this is a $6.2 billion market cap. I'd call that mid cap, wouldn't you, Luke?
2: Nowadays, with the rally, it might still be classified as small cap.
1: Yeah. There's, it's always a moving target, kind of where that delineation between uh, small, mid, and mid and large, and large and giant. but. Uh, you know, this is step, definitely that small and mid cap category. And what they do is they manufacture electrical and mechanical products for non residential construction and industrial markets. And to me, this is a large play on that. What is it? Seventy three percent year over year increase in manufacturing facility cap x uh and and um and construction so uh clearly they're doing well because of that earnings were uh, up to twenty one dollars and fifty five cents last year so let's make 18 cent, cents 18 dollars per each share this year but those analysts are continuing to upgrade this year and next year's earnings i kind of like this play luke what do you think
2: yeah, I think it's probably moved into a price discovery phase. If you look at how it's moved in the past couple years, so uh, you know you'd never want to catch anything when it's when it's moving too far up after it's broken through some some resistances. But it's certainly something I would keep an eye on.
1: Yeah, the technicals look good, and if you feel that there is a long term trajectory of spending on uh, these manufacturing facilities, obviously Atcore is going to benefit from that. All right, we're heading into our final break. This is Invest Talk, we have one goal here is to help you achieve your own version of financial freedom. And our work continues after this final break. So get your questions in now at 888 99 chart.
3: Every Invest Talk podcast is made better by your questions. So don't forget to call. And if you've never called, Justin and Steve are waiting now for your finance and investment
1: questions. Invest Talk. 888 chart Let's go to Bill in San Francisco looking at Toast. Do you own it or looking to buy it?
2: Uh, looking to buy it. I, I saw Barron's report that uh, shined favorably on it, and uh, I was thinking to add it to a uh, diversified portfolio and just wanted to see what your take is on it.
1: Well, this is one of my favorite SaaS companies that are, that's out there. Uh, I love their uh, the niche that they're going after. Just think of how many mom and pop restaurants that are out there that uh, don't have any expertise in technology. They don't want to deal with or have to uh, deal with the integration of front of uh, front office and back office, shall we say, uh, as well as delivery. Uh, and Toast is kind of this plug and play solution for that. So I love that business. My problem is is that they are doing on the back end a lot of the things that I absolutely hate from management teams, which is their are serial issues, issuers of shares just consistently diluting shareholders and their free cash flow remains very negative. Now, a lot of that I'm sure is just simply growing their top line and they continue to grow it at about 50% uh, pace, but they're still hemorrhaging cash flow, hemorrhaging earnings. Uh, now, the good thing is they don't have a lot of debt, but that's because they're just issuing more shares to to, to fund this uh, this growth. If you believe that that will eventually stop at a certain point and that they can have a steady state business that is cash flow positive, and that their price now is reasonable. I think it could be a good buy. Uh, Do you, would you wait Luke or would you just jump on and and hope that eventually they can stabilize their business in a profitable manner?
2: I don't like jumping on unstable businesses when they're not making money. I would personally, I would wait and see. Yeah, Cause, but I do like the business model. As yeah. someone who frequents restaurants and, and bars yeah. and whatnot, I think it's—I think it's a great business model. And I think uh, you know a lot of these chain restaurants that collapsed in the pandemic. Um a lot of mom and pop restaurants that survived that need assistance. This is an excellent solution for them. Yeah. Um but certainly right now, uh, I don't think it is a buy from me.
1: Yeah. Uh, to me, uh I actually bought this for my, my PA, my personal account. Uh in the I was selling what I was actually doing was selling uh puts. Hmm. Uh and I got put it somewhere in the teens, uh hmm. high teens. Uh so now it's at twenty six, so it's worked out well for you me. Go. Um and so this is one of those names that I i i would like to own it um here it's starting to get a little i i'll say i've sold some covered calls now up here in the mid to high 20s um because i think it's a little rich at these levels so i think it's a name you keep on the watch list and if it dips back back down in the teens i'd probably pick it up but not yet not here shall we say all right thanks for the call let's pivot to another one of the tech high flyers and the exact antithesis of Toast when it comes to my viewpoint of a good business, and that is Carvana. And Carvana, we actually talked about this earlier in the day, and it was up, uh, what, 700-something percent this year? I think
2: something yeah. somewhere around there. But
1: still drastically down from it, its high. And what's interesting here is that there are a lot of parallels to a company that was within the, the family of the, the controlling owner right now, which is Ernie Garcia II, the father of uh of Carvana's chief executive, uh, Ernie Garcia III. Okay, and the elder Garcia owned Drive Time Automotive, which was spun off, which spun off Carvana in 2015. Okay, this is a great story. More than two decades ago, the company that became Drive Time went public, and it boomed. And they borrowed a bunch of money, they grew fast, and later they took the pro- company private, and the company thrived. But what happened was, uh. They, they did a lot of self-dealing, and eventually, they filed for, he filed for bankruptcy, and you, the creditors are already seeing this, and they're weary of what's happening uh, with their business. And what's interesting is that Carvana does a lot of business between those companies that are still private, so the companies that service the loans, that sell off the loans, that they're originating uh, through Carvana. And to me, what this looks like is that they're, they're hemorrhaging cash and operating at a loss at the expense of shareholders, at the benefit of the private companies that are owned within the family that are probably doing very well. We don't know that because they're private, right?
2: Yeah, and you know, I don't, I don't throw around accusations often, but this is Garcia II's second act, his first being involved in the Lincoln Savings and Loan scandal in the 1990s.
1: Yeah, exactly. And the bond market is not buying this rally in Carvana.
2: Bond so. markets tend to be smarter than equity markets most of the time. Especially
1: when it comes to equity valuation. Exactly. Or, exactly, yeah. So uh, I would not be excited about this Carvana rally. All right. I'm Justin Klein, along with Luke Guerrero. This completes another Invest Talk program. Steve and Luke and I, thank you for listening. And we encourage you to tell your friends and family about our free podcast downloads, which you can find anytime at iTunes, Spotify, or Google Play. And be sure to rate and review on iTunes as well. And it's official. We've now surpassed the 54 million download marks since it all began. Thanks to you. Independent thinking, shared success. This is Invest Talk. Good night.
0: at 888-99-CHART.